join with me on page five of your bulletin. The scripture this morning is Philippians chapter three, verses three through 11. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Well, during the season of Lent, what we've been doing is we've been focusing on repentance, which is this act of turning from our sin and turning to God. And we've been trying to drill down and figure out what, what, is, what is the root of our sin. What, if you hit rock bottom, underneath all of that is um, probably this thing called autonomy, which is this deep-seated belief that all of us have that we are independent beings. We don't belong to God. We belong to ourselves. And so we talked how this instinct last week leaves a, leads us towards self-sovereignty, where I'm in charge and I can do whatever I want because I'm my own. And this week we're going to talk about how that instinct also leads us towards self-creation, this instinct towards I can be whatever I want. Uh, it's this question of I get to decide my own identity. I'm, I am in charge of deciding and determining my identity. And the question of identity, if, if you haven't noticed, is um, kind of the, a big deal, kind of a big thing that... Uh, Everybody seems to be talking about these days. We, we, we hear about our racial identity, our uh, political identity, our cultural identity, our sexual identity, our gender identity. And uh, we're, we're all asking this question, who am I? And here's what's fascinating to me is that even though all of us are giving different answers to that question, who am I? There's almost universal consensus. We, we, all, we almost all agree that the person that gets to determine the answer to that question is us. We have the burden and the responsibility of either creating ourselves or discovering ourselves. And, and to illustrate that, you, you might remember um, the movie Frozen 2, not Frozen 1, Frozen 2. Frozen 2 um, features our friend Elsa, who is the Disney princess who let it go and can shoot ice and fire through her hands. And um, the beginning of that movie, she is in charge of this beautiful kingdom, but it's unsatisfying to her. And so she starts to hear this voice, this song in the distance calling her, 
you remember, you remember, nailed that one. And, um, <clears throat> and um, that voice that's calling her is, you know, inviting her to come and, and discover what that is. And so she goes on this quest into the unknown. And she goes and she searches for this calling, beckoning voice. And she, at the very end or towards the end of the movie, she, she, she makes her way down into this cave and it's full of mirrors. And she realizes that the voice that's been calling her is her own. And so that's the kind of the whole point of the movie is that in the end, she discovers herself. And uh, just for the record, there are some people that, that disagree with that interpretation of the movie. Some people say, oh, that wasn't her voice, that was her mom's voice. And I don't, it's a confusing plot. If you've seen Frozen 2, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, but if you've seen it, the obvious conclusion is she's heard her own voice and she discovered herself, which is fascinating that even if you delete Frozen 2 from, from, the, um, you know, from the table right now, uh, the, the stories and, and, the, and the movies that we love as modern people are stories where the hero doesn't go out and uh, slay the dragon, as it were. But the quest for the modern hero is to go out and discover themselves. This is the plot not just behind Frozen 2. This is the plot behind Moana and Coco and Encanto and the new movie Turning Red. It's mostly Disney movies. <laughs> but, um, it, but these are the stories that we celebrate and the stories that we love in our modern moment. And these stories, we don't just love and we celebrate them. They also put a little bit of external pressure on us that we need to be the kind of people that are going out and discovering ourselves. And who, what is our authentic self? This is kind of the quest that we feel like we're all on as well. And that feels like a good, exciting, liberating thing. So why in the world would we need to repent of it? That's what I want to try to unpack for our time this morning. I want to look at two big ideas with you this morning. I want to look at the weariness of finding yourself and then the respite in being found. Those are the two big ideas I want to unpack. The, the weariness of finding ourselves and having to find ourselves and then the respite of being found. And to do that, we're going to look at this passage in Philippians, which is this amazing passage, uh, because it's, it's written by Paul, and what's fascinating about it is it gives you a little window into how Paul experienced this shift in how he thinks about himself. He tells you how he used to think about himself, and then now he, how he currently understands himself. So look at it with me. If you start in verse 3... He says, we who glory in Christ Jesus put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying that the things that I used to put confidence in that gave me a sense of self, that gave me um, a sense that I was unique, that I mattered, the things that used to validate my existence. He says, I don't put confidence in those things anymore. That's what he means by confidence in the flesh. And then he says in verse 4, although... There's a lot of things about me that I, I could look to and point to to give me confidence, to give me a sense of self-worth. And he starts to list those things out in verse 5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, these were all things that were true about him. He was, like every good Jewish boy, circumcised on the eighth day after he was born. He, he, he's, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, meaning that he's a, he's a true blood. He's a pure blood. He's not a muggle. 
He's not a mudblood. He's the real deal. In fact, he says he can trace his family lineage all the way back to Abraham. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, meaning he comes from a long line of true, authentic Israelites. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's how he understood himself. He comes from the right people. He's the right kind of person. He grew up speaking the right language. But he goes on that his identity was not grounded just in his tribe, just in his um, racial identity, as it were. It was also in what he did. Look at verse 5. As to the law, a Pharisee, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, meaning he also understood himself by what he did. He says, as to the law, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And what he means is I did everything right. I obeyed the rules. I colored within the lines. I, I did the right things. I, I, I recycled. I, you know, I was, the, I, was the, I, did, I was the right kind of person. I obeyed. As to the law, blameless. My resume, flawless. That's how he used to understand himself. He said, I come from the right kind of people. Uh, I'm religious, I'm the right kind of person, and I believe the right sort of things. If, he wouldn't have used this language of his authentic self, but if he were here with us today, he would say, yeah, I used to think my authentic self was in that I was that kind of person. Good, right, from the right background, that was me. That was the track he went down to get his sense of self. Now, not everybody goes down that track. Some people do. Some people go down this track of, well, I, my identity is grounded in the fact that I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. I, be, I believe the right sort of things. But that's not everybody. Everybody has to, though, eventually pick something that identifies yourself. But here's the thing. Once you've decided what that is, you can't have an identity apart from recognition. You need other people to bear witness to who you are and what you have chosen for your own identity. This is why we love, um, we love songs that say, you know, you're beautiful just the way you are. We love YouTubers who tell us, don't, 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 who cares what anybody else says about you? The only person's opinion that really matters is your own. But the problem with that is it doesn't work. You need external validation. You, your identity has to be affirmed. It has to be recognized. And so here's what this looks like. If, you, if, if you've put the burden on yourself of I have to either create my identity or I have to dis discover my identity, it's unavoidable that you also look to the outside world to validate that identity. Uh, take me as an example. When I was in high school, I'm going to introduce you to high school Matt real quick. Um, you would not like high school Matt, but here he is. When my, my senior year of high school, here's, what I, here's the picture of me. I had both... Uh, ears pierced, um, and if you don't believe me, I still have the holes. I still have the little, have the little dents in my ears. Um, back when I had hair, I dyed it different colors, and I used gel, which my, my wife loved. Um, I used gel, and I spiked it up, and um, I wore 13 pieces of jewelry, including a toe ring. Um, I painted my fingernails and my toenails. Don't think goth by the way, think Dennis Rodman. That was, you know, that was my, one of my role models. 
I, uh, I only wore clothes that were brightly colored, and I bought exclusively from thrift stores. That was my, that was my you know, that was my zone. And, um, you know, think Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes and Dennis Rodman were my role models in high school, believe it or not. And, um, but here's what's, here's what's ironic. Here's this image that I leaned into that I really said, this is me. This is Matt Howell. I want people, when they look at me, to say, wow, that dude doesn't care at all what people think about him. That dude's awesome. That dude's cool. He's just, he totally doesn't care. Here's the irony, though. I spent a lot of time and effort creating an image to communicate, I don't care what people think about me, which is, you know, a paradox. You see the problem there. But the point is, is here was this identity that I grabbed onto, and I went out into the world, and I, and I needed other people to see it. I needed other people to agree with me. Yeah, that's who you are. You can't have an identity apart from external validation. Now, here's, um, that's a dumb example, but let me give you two that are a little bit weightier. Um, you might remember, uh, if, especially if you're older, you'll remember the name Madonna. If you're younger, you don't know what I'm talking about. But Madonna was the Beyonce before there was Beyonce. She was like the mega star pop singer with only one name. And there was this interview that Madonna did years ago where she said this, and I thought this was fascinating. She said, quote, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Now, you hear what she's saying. I mean, you can even just hear the weariness in her voice. But she is saying, I have discovered myself as this interesting somebody by whatever I've done. I've become this pop star. Here's my image. Here's my look. Everybody loves it, celebrates me, and that's great for today. The problem is, is that tomorrow, i got to wake up and do it again. i got to prove myself again, or I've got to reinvent myself again. Otherwise, I'll just be mediocre I'll be uninteresting. My identity as somebody who's interesting, constantly changing somebody, it's a hamster wheel that I'm constantly running on. There's no escape. Every day I need people's validation and approval to tell me who I really am. Here's a second one. Uh, David Letterman, before uh, he would go out and host The Late Show, he described in an interview a couple of years ago what that felt like. What does it feel like to go out every single night in front of millions of people and do your song and dance? What does that feel like? Here's how he describes it. He says, every night you're trying to prove your self-worth. It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished... It makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 24 hours. 
Now, I love his honesty there because he's describing the burden of what it feels like to have to create, discover an identity, and then go out into the world and, and have the rest of the world validate it. He says it feels like anxiety to have to prove myself. It feels like pressure. It feels like shame when I'm not living up to people's standards or my own standard for myself, which leads to exhaustion because it feels like I have to. The weariness of having to find yourself and then have the world affirm it and give you a thumbs up. Alan Noble wrote this great book recently called You Are Not Your Own. It's a book that I've been leaning on fairly heavily for this particular series. And um, he describes kind of our current cultural moment this way. I want to read you one more quote. Here's what he says. Quote, no one has the right to define me, but in order to have an identity, I need them to see and affirm me. And in order to get people to see me, I need to express myself a lot. The more people who witness and affirm my identity, the more secure I feel. But the terrifying thing is that everyone else in society is doing the exact same thing. Everyone is on their own private journey of self-discovery and self-expression so that at times, listen to this, at times, modern life feels like billions of people in the same room shouting their own name so that everyone else knows they exist and who they are, which is a fairly accurate description of social media. And it goes on and says, if we are all responsible for creating and expressing our own identities, then everyone is in competition with everyone else for our limited attention, and no one is secure enough in their own identity to ground us with their approval. Here's his point. If everybody is looking to everybody else to ground who you are, then nobody knows who they are because nobody has the resources to ground anybody else. And we're all exhausted trying to do it. Maybe that's why, partly why, Paul says in this passage in verse 7, whatever gain I had through understanding myself like this, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says these old ways of understanding myself are so weary, so exhausting. I, I don't even say that they were neutral. They're loss. They're, they were a deficit to me. In fact, he, goes, he, he says in verse 8, he says, I count all of this as rubbish, which sounds like Paul kind of got British for a second. Count it all as rubbish, love. But he's saying, the Greek word there is the word for feces. It's the word for excrement. The, the King James uses the word dung, meaning Paul says, I pile up all of my resume, all of my credentials, everything that I used to look at and says, that's what makes me me. That's what makes me special. And he says, it's all, it's all feces. It's a crushing burden. And in fact, you even see this if you can, if you can look, if you know where to look. Even in the modern stories we tell, that we celebrate this journey of self-discovery. I mean, think about Elsa. Elsa has gone on this quest, and she's discovered herself, but where, where, does, this, where does this quest lead her? Into a cold ice cave where she's singing to nobody but herself. 
the crescendo is she's in a cold prison of solitary confinement. The weariness of finding yourself. So you might hear all this and you think, okay, well then what's the, what's the alternative? What's the other option? What do you do? And that's what I want to look at with you secondly. The, the respite of being found. The respite of being found. Rather than trying to find himself, Paul says, I have been found in Jesus. Look at the middle of verse 8. He says, for his sake... I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He's saying, when I gain Christ, I find my true self. That I am found when I am found in him, which means that identity is not something that you manufacture. Identity is not something that you discover. Identity is something you receive. And you see this in verse 9. He keeps going. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, meaning a rightness, an inner sense of security based off of what I have done, based off of my obedience to the law. I don't have a rightness based off of anything in me. Keep going. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. I have a rightness, but I didn't generate it. I didn't manufacture it. It was given from God to me. Here's the point. You do have a true self, but it is not one that you have the burden of creating or the burden of having to discover it. It is one that you receive. In fact, just think about the grammar of that language of, of uh, being found. It's a passive action. You don't go out and be found. You're playing hide and seek. And when you're playing hide and seek and somebody finds you, it's something that has happened to you, which means the glory of the gospel is that God has come seeking after you to find you in him. You know, unlike Elsa... Jesus goes on a quest too, but he does not go on a quest to find himself. He goes on a quest to find you and to find me. And that quest doesn't lead him to a cave with mirrors. It leads him to a cross. He says he came to seek and to save the lost so that the lost might be found and might be found in him. So what does repentance look like then? What does this mean for us? Here's what this means for us. For you and I who are constantly trying to define ourselves and manage our image for the world and have the world validate this image of us, repentance looks like this. God is the one that gets to define us. That we give up the burden of having to define ourselves and we surrender to his definition of us. And what is that definition? That you and I belong to him. To illustrate this, uh, you might remember the movie Blood Diamond. came out in 2006. Leo's in it, Leonardo DiCaprio. And um, the story features, the the story kind of highlights the the diamond trafficking industry in Africa. And it's it's an intense movie. It's pretty brutal, but it's, it's this it, it, it talks about this terrorist organization in Africa that does these horrible things, which, funny side note, the, uh, this terrorist organization is called RUF, 
in the movie, which if you're unfamiliar with that, that's the college ministry that we, we love here in our, uh, Redeemer's the college ministry we used to work for as, you know, the Howells used to work for. So here there's, there's these scenes with these terrorists, all these guns going, R-U-F, R-U-F. So it's, it's, if you're familiar, it's a little disturbing. Anywho, but when you're, when you're watching this movie, there, this organization um, was notorious for going into villages and kidnapping children and then turning them into child soldiers. And there's this one scene where there's this 12-year-old who has been taken in by this group and he's made to see, see horrible things and do horrible things. And towards the end of the movie, he has a machine gun. And his father, who has come looking for him, finds him and confronts him. And the son is pointing the machine gun at his own father. And the father starts to talk to him. And the kid's name is Dia, D-I-A. And here's what the father says in this scene. He says, Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vindi of the proud Mindy tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer in school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains in red palm oil stew with your sister Yanda and the new baby. The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me and be my son again. And in that moment, the child starts breaking down crying and he hands over his machine gun and he goes and he runs into the arms of his father. What was it that broke the spell that he was under? It was him being found in the loving words of his father. His father who looked at him and said, no, you are mine and I am yours and you belong to me. And that love is, is, is where he found himself, his true self. Repentance for you and me looks the same way, where we come into the presence of God and we let him and his love define us. We are his and he is ours because of what his son has done on our behalf. Do you feel the respite in being found in that? That you no longer have to manufacture an image because you know in your heart of hearts you're made in his image already. You don't have to create an identity because your identity was never in question. You belong to him. You don't have to look out to the world to validate your existence because that was never in question in the first place. The rest of knowing you stand before him and he sees you for all of you are and, and he gives you his blessing and he defines you with his love. This is why it's no surprise that one of the most famous Christian blessings is this one that we're going to give at the end of the service today from Numbers chapter 6, where God looks at us and, and, and we say, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It is this image of uh, that we live before the loving face, the loving gaze of God. Repentance then looks like this. We stand before his gaze of love and we give up this burden of having to create ourselves and define ourselves and we say, I want you to define me. And we open up our hands and we receive his name, 
We receive his grace. We receive his blessing. And we find ourselves in him. That's the invitation for you and for me this morning. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to find ourselves before your loving gaze, before your grace, that we might receive from your hands. Father, we um, believe the lies, we doubt our identity, we, we feel the anxiety that we have to go out and, and have the world validate who we are. And Father, we want to repent we want to bring our doubts and our confusion, our anxiety, our, our, uh, our, the mess of who we are to you and hear your voice define us once again, that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are your sons and we are your daughters and we belong to you. Would that free us, would that give us a rest that is supernatural, something that we cannot create, We need you to do this on our behalf. I pray all this in Jesus' name.